0: To your delight, I promise I will not be the only face-up here, here this semester. We will start having a lot more people speaking to you. In fact, if any of you want to speak, um, come and talk to me. You know, I think this is a very, as my friend Chad Doty would say about music, accessible sermon series, meaning that you don't have to know a whole lot about it to just sort of enjoy it and to participate in it. So uh, one of the things that we've really been building ever since we began a few years ago is rather than being consumers of talks and of music, being contributors. And so I really want to use this sermon series to ignite a very new trend in our church. And that is of people coming prepared to contribute, whether you are a leader or not a leader, uh, in our worship services. Okay, We don't go for very long, and so we've got ample time. For people to uh, to contribute, whether that's a word you hear, whether it's something that uh, God has been teaching you, whether it's a cool story from your relationships, whether it's a concern or question you have regarding the topics that we're covering, whether it's just a scripture reading. Uh, and we're going to kind of, uh, you know, put some... Uh, questions for you to answer, kind of like what we've done with our last two sermon series up on Google Forms. And it's anonymous if you want, but this isn't like sex. We're not talking about the sex stuff we talked about. Um why that's so hard for me to say. Um, this last <laughs> semester, wasn't it? Yeah? So you don't have to post anonymously. I'm not for sure why you would. I mean, you know, this is not an anonymous thing. We'd love for you to actually give your name, maybe read it up here or have someone else read it, uh, you know, whatever else. And so I'll tell you a little bit more about that at the end of uh, this this talk, but just, just be thinking about that. How can you contribute to service on Sunday? Too many of us, we come, we consume, we decide that was good, that was bad, but we don't really take much responsibility for how can I contribute to and uh, really make this honorable to God and glorifying uh, Him and really uh, impacting and inspiring to the people around me. So, uh, this is just your chance, your opportunity, and it can be really simple stuff, guys, but just come with that mentality on uh, Sunday, and I think we will uh, be able to do some really great things that, uh, um, I don't know, that, uh, kind of help us think differently and, uh, challenge our hearts, um, to really be committed to God. So be thinking about that and we'll, I'll post some stuff for you so that you can, uh, you can be engaged and, uh, yeah. Okay, great. So like, for instance, uh, I posted an uh, article on the Ditt North page this last week. Yeah. So So excited. I was very good about that. I did, like maybe two days after. How many of you read that article? Yeah, oh, great. Two people, huh? If you're not on our Ditton North Facebook page, find us on Facebook. We do some things on there. If you don't know our website, dittonnorthchurch.com, pretty easy. Get on our website and do things on there. Uh, there actually are things you could do, like read my Twitter account, <laughs> which I update every, like, six months um, with one tweet. Uh, so, no, really, though, you can sign up for our newsletters. You can do things like that. What are you saying? I said when you do update it, you update it four or five times. Yeah, I do. I don't know how to use Crazy. Twitter, okay? <laughs> Whatever. Our Facebook page is where we communicate more to our church, so get on there. I posted a really cool article, I think, that from the Washington Post that had a lot to do with what we were talking about last week. Get on there. That's a way you can contribute and be a part. Even if it's during service, you want to get up on your phone and post something to the Dick North page. Uh, that you're really, you know, kind of thinking about, that's great too. And let's use that as a source to uh, to be encouraged. Uh, or at least, you know, if you're bored during one of my sermons, you can, you know, get uh, Facebook and be looking through some of the things that people are saying, like some of you are doing right now about that article. Uh, Alright, um, so the article, t- or the theme title is From Jesus to Paul to Practical Living. That's what we're going to do for the rest of the semester. Um, let me explain a little bit, hopefully this morning, of what we're going for, and what I mean uh, by that, okay? Um, but let me first start with kind of a quick, almost state of the union about religion in our society. I, I know many of you know, maybe some of you don't, I'm a sociologist, uh, it's kind of my profession besides doing ministry work, and so um, I really love big general trends and patterns in society and learning about, knowing about society, and so I think a lot through that lens. And one of the really great resources for learning about the state of religion... In fact, they publish something every about five years, I think. Maybe it's one year. Called the uh, uh, Religious Landscape in America. It's, it's called the Pew Forum. Now, Pew, P-E-W, W, W, W. Like Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> Is that how you spell his name? Yeah. Okay. Forum.com Or maybe dot org. I don't really know anymore. You know? But just check. Pew Forum. And there's a lot of really great information about religion. I find that you know many of us in our particular experience, particularly if you grew up Christian, probably don't quite know what's going on in our religious landscape. Um, so uh, I want to share with you a couple things. Okay, number one, and probably the thing that's most talked about on Pew Forum is this group of people that's quickly overtaking evangelicals, who have long been the largest one single religious group in our society. Evangelicals make up a quarter of our uh, society, about 25%, and there's one group particularly in the last 10 or 15 years that has just, you know, dominated the, uh, the religious uh, surveys. Anybody know what group that is? The nuns. But not N-U-N-S, like Catholic nuns, and not the non-denominationals, but people who are not religiously affiliated. Some of these folks are atheists, they're agnostic. Some of them are simply have a low commitment to whatever religion they grew up in. They are non-affiliated. That makes up now 24% of our population. So half of our population is either non-affiliated or evangelical. And that's a real sizable number. To give you a sense, back in the early 90s, that number was less than 15%. Over the course of 10 or 15 years, a 10% increase like that. that's, That's huge. Okay. Um, huge, huge increase. Do you have a, the, a diagram there? Oh, it's so tough, so tiny. Uh, that's my fault. I don't know how to save things in a way that's helpful. Um tiny uh, This is from 2014. Uh, there you go. You kind of see the the groups here, uh, unaffiliated, you know, evangelical Protestant. Now, two big things is uh, the share of Christians went down in the last seven years. Uh, from about 77%. 70. Oh yeah, there, there it is. But actually the most recent number now is 69%. So they have basically lost almost 10% from two major places. Mainline Protestant churches and Catholic churches. Those are the two major uh, sort of denominations that lost a lot of folks over, the, that, over that time period. But this is to say that overall Christianity continues to decline Okay, now still 69% of our population would consider themselves Christian, that's a pretty large number and non-affiliated people continue to rise, now there's a lot of arguments about what's happening here, uh, some arguments are that people are just deciding to admit now that they're not religious, they were always not religious just, it's just easier now to admit that some believe it's a millennial thing, millennials are much more likely to, to admit you know, that they're not religious, there's a lot of research and if you want to go out there and read it, it's, you just read religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S please spell that correctly otherwise you would get you know misinformation uh n-o-n-e-s okay so that could be seen as a good thing a bad thing i'm sure a lot of christians see that as not such a good thing um we won't talk much about it i just simply want to tell you it okay the other big thing that i think probably has a in my mind is a lot more positive is that the diversity racial diversity of christianity continues to increase okay In fact, as of last year, the racial diversity in Christianity finally hit uh, and now represents the racial diversity in America. So 34% of Christians are non-white. And as it turns out, 34% of Americans are non-white. And so Christianity is no longer sort of seen as a white American religion, but is in fact equally diverse as our country. But I think that's good. And a lot of these these denominations saw increases in their uh, diversity. Almost all of them, with the exception of Black Protestants, who are still Black. Okay. Um, and uh, and then it looks like Mormons. You know, not not too much there, right? So um, the diversity. Quite a bit of of increase in diversity among Christian denominations across the board. So, I think that's pretty exciting stuff, but I don't know about you, I mean, that's just the sort of me. So, there's two big things. The second thing, and I don't have a cool little image for you, is the rise of non-denominationalism. Okay? And this is in, in also a significant increase, and particularly in the last 15 years. A lot more people now go to a non-denominational church than a denominated church. Um now, that doesn't necessarily mean the church is actually non-denominated. It just means that they have a title that's non-denominational. Um, plenty of churches are, are non-denominational in their name only. When it comes to their beliefs, they're still very much denominated. And, um, and that's okay. I mean, denominationalism isn't at its core a bad thing. If you don't know what denominationalism is, you know, like uh, uh, basically all of these different Protestant groups, you know, right? Methodists, Baptists, you know, these kind of specific groups are within that and so fewer and fewer people are into denominationalism particularly millennials, this is sort of changing in, uh, in our society again, for better, for worse, I'm not going to talk much about uh, uh, why that's happened, although I will give you sort of what I think are two major trends that we can look at and say, okay, there, there's at least some explanatory power for uh, what's happening with the, with the, uh, the growth of non denominational number one is it's megachurch uh, and it's not actually mega churches necessarily. It's just the mega church mentality. Uh, I think some of us have a tendency to think that all mega churches have a mega church mentality. That is absolutely not true. One of I think the most helpful resources for churches today comes from the Willow Creek movement, and they are huge. I mean, massive. And they, and uh, for all intents and purposes, do not have a mega church mentality. Not at least the, you know that I can see. Uh, when we first came to Denton, and we're going to. Um, Uh, rent a facility, a little small church over there off uh, Fort Worth Drive, uh, there with all the industrial places, which I thought would have been so cool. And it was on, what was the road that it was on? I can't remember. Some special significance. Whatever. Trailing off. And uh, I, you know, wanted to come in and rent their building because they had a church that was dwindling. Uh, They had like 20 people left in their church. And so when I sat down to meet with them about renting their building, I mean, they had the craziest and one of the worst plans I think I've ever heard for church growth. I mean, their idea was they were going to take their 20 people, go rent like an Albertson-sized facility, uh, and you know, create this sort of mega church that was going to just be amazing. It was going to be kind of like the model, uh, you know, you see a lot around here now, you know, churches go buy a shopping center and then just hope a ton of people come. And uh, and these guys are business folks. Then that's their background. Not a lot of, of theology or religion or ministerial work. So I understood kind of where they're coming from. But I think this is a, probably a big reason why more and more folks are choosing non-denominational churches is because of the megachurch mentality, which in my mind is quickly summed up as a consumption experience, where I go on a Sunday and I leave feeling a whole lot of things about my own morality and about God's goodness, and I consume. Very little is is called forth from me, and I can just sort of continue to do this at a real low level of commitment. people like non-denominationalism because it's kind of that way. The focus isn't on theology, the focus isn't really on commitment. It's just sort of on gratifying your God-given needs and then moving on. Small churches, big churches doesn't matter. A lot of folks have this mega church mentality and I think that's why non-denominational uh, folks are you know sort of uh, breaking away with old trends bringing on these new trends of entertainment. One of the things, you, if you read that article, I think it's a really great and positive thing, is the article on the North uh, fi- uh, Facebook page says, more and more millennials are kind of unimpressed with the cool church, megachurch model. They're more looking for warm family environments. Literally, one of the suggestions at the end of the article was try to create a worship space that is like a family living room. Uh, which I was like, Whoa. You know, that's cool because we've been trying to do that for a long time. People are like, yeah, that's kind of weird, you know. You guys treat each other like, uh, you know, family and whatever else. Anyway, uh, so that that's one. And then the second thing, and I think this this one in particular is going to take a little explaining, uh, is the mental morality. Uh, why are these are M's, man? Something about morning time when I talk, when I do my sermons, I... Uh, <laughs> I really, really like that repetition and alliteration. Uh, mental morality over mission. Oh, goodness gracious. This is awful. That's really bad. And what I mean by this is one of the big draws of the megachurch mentality is I can go and be in an environment with a whole bunch of like-minded people and feel really moral because we're talking about morality in our sermons. And we're talking about how bad, bad things are, and how good, good things are. And thankfully, I'm one of the good ones, and so I'm pretty okay. And so, it, one of the things that we consume, even though we don't realize it, is a sense of our own moral superiority, or our own moral uh, okayness, if I can. And this has become a real draw. You know, I mean, who doesn't want to go and hear a sermon about how good we are and how much God's created us to be good and how, generally speaking, you don't need to make too many life decision differences. Make a few, but if you'll just, you know, sort of buy into a few basic ideas, you know, you really will be good and and we'll move on. Of course, the irony about that is, in my mind, this is the same trend driving non-affiliated people away from the church is a lack of wanting to buy into a value system. Rather, they just sort of want to kind of believe, well, I'm generally good, and what I believe is sort of okay, and I don't really want any of those things challenged, particularly challenged by denominationalism, which has with it its own real strong set of beliefs and values and things like that. And so what I'm recommending to you, and you don't have to follow this argument if you don't want to, it's fine, is that the same thing that is contributing to the megachurch mentality uh, is also drawing a lot of folks away from churches. Sort of has this, this weird, two-result uh, you know, kind of deal. You've got some people who they just sort of, ah, I'm going to kind of do away with the whole commitment thing and just go be a part of some anonymous group where I sort of feel good. And then you've got other people who are saying, you know, that doesn't seem real to me. I'm just going to go ahead and say that you know what's really the truth, and that's that I'm not really a <laughs> And so I think the place that a lot of churches have today... Uh, And the goal, which I think is incredibly difficult, is to retrain Christians to really think about Christianity as a relationship with God that affects every aspect of my life. Rather than simply a badge or a social organization that we join and, you know, insofar as we're involved in this thing, it kind of, you know, affects and impacts parts and pieces of my life. And, uh, you know, and so uh, I think this is sort of what's happening today. Uh, not to mention the fact that a lot of young people, particularly millennials, for all the good things that they have about their generation, are particularly not great at thinking about and talking about morality and really understanding how to kind of address some of these larger issues about what's right, what's wrong. Most of us, if we're honest, tend to think what's right and wrong has a lot to do with my own individual perception. What do I determine is right or wrong? No, not in extreme situations. I mean, I'm certainly not saying, you know, because you like to slap people in the face, you've decided that that's for you know, right. Um, I'm talking more personality differences and preference differences, all the stuff that we've kind of already talked about. Uh, I define that as right, rather than allowing a value system to sort of inform uh, what it is, I believe. So, if you didn't follow any of that, don't worry. Our goal is, my goal at least, will be to try to explain a little bit of how this is working in the trends uh, of our society. In short, all you really kind of need to know is that more and more people are aiming towards a a really low-commitment lifestyle when it comes to Christianity. And more and more than ever before, they can get that. Whether it's in a megachurch, whether it's in a small church that has a megachurch mentality, whether it's in a parachurch organization, whatever it is, more and more Christians can... Uh, find a place where there's really low to no commitment and that leads people to do two things either one love those places or two say what am I even doing here why am I even faking this I might as well just be honest and realize I'm not affiliated and I'm going to argue that in some ways those people are being more honest than the folks who are at least pretending at commitment but we don't to go too much into that so that's all I'm saying all of that thing I said before it doesn't make any sense or I don't know some of you just thought I have a pretty good read on my classes usually and you guys are all like, I think nothing that didn't make any sense to me. Uh, so, okay. That leads us into this, this sermon series and this, this, what we're trying to go for here. So bear with me. I promise you that this will be the most theological sermon we'll have in this entire series. Okay? Even of the sermons that I preach. And I know theology, wow. because morality, we're not so excited about. But I do have to kind of at least give a little bit of basic... You know, kind of ideas. I'm not a big theology person either. I think a lot of it is just people talking about error and it's wasted time, and a lot of it doesn't ever trickle down into people's lives. And so, our goal for this sermon series is to take what some of these big arguments have been in the past and not explain them, but actually try to figure out what does this look like in the context of my daily life, making decisions. When I leave here, I make a decision what does it mean to be saved? and to, to, to uh, make different decisions or to live differently because I'm saved. Not to try to figure out when salvation happens or how it happens or whatever else. And this isn't that we're trying to be pragmatic, we're not trying to find something useful for us. I believe the gospel is in every way supposed to you know, uh, reach its slimy tentacles, which is a terrible analogy for the gospel, uh, into every area of our life. Just let's think you like calamari, okay? I don't know. That's, yeah, that was bad. Squid. But no, calamari is so good. Um, okay, all right. I'm losing it. Oh, no. Uh, okay. So, uh, we have this issue in Christianity. And I know a lot of you aren't aware of this issue, but I'm here to open up your eyes and your minds to this secret issue that's going on. No, it's not the Illuminati. Um, that's another secret issue. It is... Paul and Jesus are often pitted against each other in theological debates and even in denominationalism. A lot of people don't quite realize the degree to this because we have a lot of degrees of separation. So if I grew up in a particular denominational movement, I may be basing a lot of my belief systems on a reformer who himself or herself, although there were no herself reformers... um, We're, uh, you know, basing their decisions and their thoughts on Paul's teachings or Jesus's teachings. Okay, so we do this and many of us don't see ourselves doing this. It's not like we're reading the scripture and we're like, Jesus, I don't think so. Let's go to Paul. Paul's really got, you know, got it where it counts. None of us, I don't think, hopefully you do that. Um, However, this is happening in our Christian thinking. And it makes sense of this all hopefully in a minute. And what we really love about Paul is that Paul seems to be all about justification and talking about the theology of salvation and we want to know about theology and we want to know about Paul. And Paul tends to give us a lot in the way of what to believe about the world around us. And so we latch on to Paul to get our belief system straight and to get a sense of what salvation is and all of these other things. And we ignore a lot of Paul's life. So many of the scriptures that we quote from the New Testament are Paul talking about Christianity and Christian salvation. But we don't really look into Acts to see much about how Paul lived and interacted with people. Or in the letters, we skip over the beginning and the end sections where Paul's talking about his relationship with them. Because we want to skip straight to the theology or the beliefs. We love Paul... For forming our beliefs and forming how we think about salvation and all these other things. We use him, that is to say, in a very narrow way. Well, we have the opposite problem for Jesus. We don't really like the long sections of where Jesus teaches stuff. Because pretty much any time Jesus teaches something, that fits into our focus. And Jesus study as the hard teachings of Jesus. You ever realize that? It's like Jesus doesn't teach anything but it's hard. We're like, that can't be real. No one's really supposed to be perfect. No one's really supposed to walk 10 miles with their enemies or whatever it is. Walk a mile, another mile. I don't know what it is. No one's really supposed to get buck naked with giving their cloak away plus their tunic. Isn't that one of the scriptures? Yeah. Is is it buck naked or butt naked? I don't know. All right. We'll figure that out later. The point is we love to look at Jesus's behavior and how he treated individual people. We don't do such a good job with his actual teachings. And so what we do is we kind of mix the part of Paul and Jesus that we really like. Paul's beliefs in his teachings, Jesus' life. And when we're talking about social gospel and we're talking about how to treat people, we're like, yeah, let's be like Jesus. And we're talking about theology and how to kind of think about the deeper truths of Christianity. We're like, let's go to Romans and figure out how to, you know, think about salvation from Romans because that'll be really helpful. Now again, I know none of you are like intentionally doing this. I'm not like, unless it's not like adv- I'm giving you advice. Go home and make sure that you pay attention to Paul's life and you know, you really study Jesus' teachings. I know that that's not happening. What where it's happening is at the much higher level of our churches and our church theology and lots and lots of years of forming how we believe. We've in essence uh, struck a chasm, and that can't be right, um, a barrier, an obstacle between what we believe on the one hand as Christians and how we really live on the other. In fact, uh, liberal mainline Protestants have long been uh, known for their following of Jesus. These are the folks that love the social gospel, that love the whole idea of treating all women, you know, uh, as equal to men, and you know, and the whole idea of ordaining uh, pastors who are women. And you know, that comes mostly from mainline, uh, you know, liberal, so to speak, Protestants who really look at Jesus and see in him a model for how we ought to behave. And what do you think the conservative churches get their justification and theology models? It's not from Jesus, it's a lot from Paul. And so even our whole churches are operating off of these narrow views of what Paul's saying and doing, or rather what Paul's saying, and then what Jesus is actually doing. And so it creates this real, uh, I think we don't know it and we don't realize it too much, but this sort of discrepancy between the two. Not only in our lives, but in the ways that our mind thinks... And then, you know, we actually live our life. You'll just take my word for it for now. We'll see later. So make more sense later. I just always say that and then never explain myself. It's a great way to navigate, uh, you know, sticky situations. The problem is, Jesus certainly taught about beliefs. I mean, just so much of what he teaches is about belief. And about how we ought to think about our lives and think about God. And Paul lived life. You know, his ideas in his, you know, theology and his theory wasn't based on this sort of like sitting in a classroom coming up with ideas. No, he lived that life already, you know, in being a Pharisee. The whole purpose of his ministry was to teach people how to really do life differently now that you're saved and you have the gospel in mind. So, yes, what do we do, for instance? And let me give you a couple of these issues kind of played out in Scripture with women, right? We make them the, you know... Uh, uh, head uh, or really highly involved in our ministry like Jesus did and liberate them? Or should we tell them to be silent like Paul did? Okay, Do we judge people as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 and judge our fellow Christians? Or do we do what Jesus says and wait till the last day when God will judge us himself? Am I saved by knowing Jesus? Which is what Jesus seems to talk about a lot when he talks about relationship or am I saved because of some belief that happens in my mind or in my heart, which is really what Paul talks about in in Romans? You know, this goes on and on and on. And a lot of people have spent the last six or seven hundred years arguing about a lot of this stuff. And we could do the same if we wanted to. I don't think there's just a ton of value in it. Um, but there's there are certainly what seems like a lot of discrepancies uh, between Paul's teachings and Jesus' teachings. And if that makes you feel uncomfortable, I assure you, it's okay. They have in, uh, you know, uh, in my mind, no real differences that can't be explained in terms of the purposes that they have in their books or in their letters or in, of course, Jesus's, um, you know, life. But two, it's through these differences that we often get a much more nuanced and complex sense of these very, very difficult things. It's so easy, guys, to talk about ideas and beliefs as if they have no reality in our lives. It's just easy, Right. Some of you who kind of know some things about some vague or random topics, you can kind of talk about them, right? Especially with other people who don't know them very well. I impressed someone this morning with my coffee knowledge, um, which is mostly knowledge because I still make a very inconsistent cup of coffee. Uh, and you're not really good at coffee until you can make the same consistent cup, you know, every time. Like Josh, freak. Um <laughs> Josh is living out, you know, his coffee ideology and his life. But when we have sort of a head knowledge of something, we often feel like, again, that we have, you know, information about it. And so, so much of Christian talk and Christian uh, you know, conversation is just talk. It's just that. It doesn't really uh, come from a place of knowledge and, and, and interacting with a lot of this theology in our daily lives. Uh, I once heard uh, from a guy that went to a seminary, which you know was yeah, apparently a lot of seminarians, I don't know what the word is, call seminaries cemeteries. Because it's where people actually go and lose their faith, not where they uh, learn to be faithful. And he says one of the, like, the most important things about going to a seminary, and I would actually say this about grad school too, not to offend any of you who are in grad school, because you know, now we're getting some more grad school people. And so uh, I did this the wrong way, so I'll just tell you that. Um... Grad school, like seminary, is always much more helpful if you're studying theory while you're practicing something. Make sense? Uh, You're not just studying things from like a theoretical perspective and then losing all that information and then you get thrown out into the real world where you're practicing and you're like, I forgot everything I learned in theory 601. I know that's not really a class, but, um, <laughs> and you'll get in some of these grad classrooms and you'll just hear from people who are just, they've never had an experience in this field or in what they're talking about. I had this a lot in my nonprofit classes. We would all just sort of talk about things about nonprofits kind of at a theoretical level. And then someone who actually worked in a nonprofit was like, what the heck are you guys talking about? This is like, so not how it happens, you know, <laughs> in the real world of what's going on. My best, uh, you know, analogy is like watching CSI and understanding anything about our criminal justice system, okay? Maybe that's the best analogy I can give you. So, um, we have a lot of these conversations, and they really, 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 really aren't based in uh, the reality of our life. But here's where I think there's overlap, and and this is what we're going to try to do with this series, okay? We're going to take these 10 or 11 topics that are basically like focus on Jesus topics, all right? and, um, you know, something as simple as faith or salvation. And rather than talking about it from this kind of high-level theory theology, we're going to really try to bring it down to how did Jesus and Paul, uh, you know, have different sides or see different points of view on this issue in the context of how they're living their lives. And so our sermon sermon series will really be trying to engage these very high-level, if you want to, Uh, title this this series something much shorter than what I do it's practical theology it's learning how to take these things that we're all supposed to believe and study and and learn not from going and reading a textbook on theology but learning from actually what does it it look like to actually be aware of of these incredibly important theoretical and theological concerns in my daily life alright now, I know I haven't told any of you on that because that doesn't sound like the most you know, exciting topic, but I think you'll find that it will be very interesting and exciting because if we ask ourselves the question of like, well, so how has salvation you know affected your daily life? Some of us may be at a loss for exactly what the heck that means. How do you grow in faith on a daily basis? <laughs> you and ask a whole lot. You know, when have you seen the Holy Spirit working in your life in the last week? I mean, we have some hard questions to answer because we're not so good at identifying a lot of this, this stuff. Um, And so that'll be the point of this sermon series is to find where to start really with the gospel, which is really the good news about how to live, to think, to relate with others and watch what Paul and Jesus talk about, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to the gospel, see if there are any differences we can identify and then kind of start with there, uh, the context of real life. You know, you think back to what Paul says about false teachers. There's a lot of conversation, both Peter and Paul, about false teachers. And one of the real signs of a false teacher is someone who talks a lot. Uh, Talks and talks and talks. and doesn't do a whole lot that you can say in the way of, oh, you can see where this translates into their life. And that's part of the goal of this series is to really try to figure out, you know, what are some of the conversations we're having that really aren't translating into practical life? Not practical rules and more guidelines for how to live, but you know the gospel is good news. It's supposed to really teach and train us how to live the kind of life that God intended us to live. You think about a lot of Jesus' questions in his ministry. So many of his questions were to get people to reflect back on how they were talking about stuff that they weren't living out. They were saying things that they thought were important, but when you really looked at what their motivations were behind that, he was trying to kind of get into, hey... You, your motivations are completely mixed up here why are you asking me this question and so that's going to be our goal uh, for this sermon series Okay, is trying to kind of figure out uh, you know, how to apply some of these really deep and, and uh, tough theological concepts particularly those that you know, have a surface level uh, discrepancy between Paul and Jesus uh, into our lives and what that looks like and if that seems really theoretical to you at this point then uh, you know, next week's sermon series we're going to dive right in and it'll make a lot more sense to you. But here's two things you can do to prepare, okay? The first one is try to look up some discrepancies. Do a little research on your own. Now, I don't mean go find Jesus versus Paul and, you know, the first atheistic website you can find that has, like, the whole goal of their website is to list, like, a thousand discrepancies. Go and find, you know, I mean, it's fine if you pick one of those out, but go and actually understand yourself why this is a discrepancy. If you don't see it as a discrepancy, then don't use that as your example. But go try to spend a quiet time this week or a study time this week, however, you know, you do this. Uh, and finding some kind of what looks like a discrepancy between Jesus and Paul's teaching and uh, do your best to try to understand it and really uh, you know, seek God's guidance on it because that's what we're going to attempt to do in each of these, these uh, kind of categories is to try to talk through how Paul and Jesus are presenting to us uh, nuanced and a more comprehensive view of how to live this stuff out in daily life and life is always much more complicated than just a few sound bites of wisdom or talk uh, not so simple yeah Hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think probably some of us, particularly who don't study a lot of apologetics or, or anything like that, maybe not don't quite realize that this is one of the real main current issues a lot of atheist agnostics have with the scripture, is that Paul and Jesus seem to be on different pages. And it's one of the things that many of them have an issue with uh, when it comes to really trying to approach faith, is that they don't see how... You know God's you know, supposedly uh, special apostle is teaching something different than Jesus and how Christianity can can possibly have a collective uh, way of looking at the world. And so, if you weren't aware of that, I just made you aware of it. Great. Right. Uh, not that I would expect a lot of people really have that issue. Maybe that's like you know you've come across people like, yeah, I just can't get on board Christianity because Jesus and Paul, I mean, we can't bring them together, right? Am I right? And you're like. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, so this is going to manifest itself in ways you might not be you know, super aware of. okay? But we'll, we'll try to talk through these um, as we go through this series. So that's the first one, is try to kind of find some discrepancies yourself. And I think in looking at these discrepancies, what we'll find, if, we, if we're honest, is a, a difficult challenge. Something that, and, and this is what I, I, as much as I've talked this morning and said nonsense I want you to kind of think through. There is something in these discrepancies that teaches us about life and about how to live and how to make decisions. And the reasons why they seem discrepant is because uh, we, we have thought about them in our heads, but not made a lot of headway, so to speak, in translating that into how we live. When we begin to translate some of this difficult theology in how we live... It'll make more sense how Jesus and Paul are kind of coming from different angles and different perspectives on some of this stuff. I hope to prove that to you, and we hope to prove that to you as we look through some of these. But the first step is just to go back and kind of look through some of them. Okay, I gave you three examples, but there are definitely more examples. All right. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Sufficient. (laughs) Okay. Good deal. Uh, and then this, the second one is uh, has a lot more to do with uh, our worship service, but I think this could be really helpful. And number one for memorization, and two for you know these this sermon series. And that is, I, I really want you to go back and find like, and we'll give you a place to submit these. Maybe like a t- less than ten words because it has to be memorable, a memorable line from either Paul's uh, you know teachings or from Jesus' teaching really memorable line, and particularly a line that really kind of like is in your mind profound, not necessarily cliche or common that everyone kind of knows and then just sort of has their own definition for, but something that really seems profound to you, something that seems beautiful to you, uh, something that really challenges you, something that really articulates in a really short space, something important in your life that you've done or learned or are working through, whatever that is, a memorable phrase, I don't normally, we don't normally as a church encourage you to like uh, pick and choose really short passages from scripture. But I think some of these can be very, very powerful for us to memorize. In fact, a lot of you have done counseling in our church with different people who have suggested that you get a note card card and write down really specific verse references and lines from scripture that you can repeat in your mind and think about that will really be very formative. Not only in how you think, but in, in how you live and the decisions that you make. Okay? I know this feels like class and some of you like already three weeks in the class are like, more class. Why don't you preach an inspiring sermon to me? Uh, I'm sorry. I just felt the need to give you a little bit of background information. I'll inspire you next week, okay? <laughs> I made a promise. I'm going to stick with that promise. So inspiration next week um, when we talk about salvation. And, uh, and uh, yeah, after that, who knows? We'll, uh, other people will come to inspire you. Questions about that? Yes, sir. Um, do you have like a scheduled list of these topics? Yeah, and we'll put that in the North uh, Facebook. But it's it's basically roughly like what Focus on Jesus is. And for those of you who are new to our community, Focus on Jesus is a study that we um, you now we do one on one or one on two with people, and it's just a it's a great place to learn. Uh, about what the scripture actually says about life and about God and about what to do in uh, your day-to-day uh, being. I mean, it's like, it's not, we don't write it. It's just scriptures on a page. And it's like, you go in through and talk about it. And, uh, and it's really great. But it's basically just that. It's going to be those topics. Uh, but rather than talking about them from a like high level, it's going to be a much more like, hey, what, how does this impact you know how we think about our lives? Questions? Any other Questions? <laughs> yeah no you sure because a lot of you look confused <coughs> excuse me in your yeah sorry i'm sure it's gonna sound really good right there on the. Uh, yeah. okay thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast we would love for you to join us on sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week